Hey, this is Felicia Day, and you're listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. It is a detective story. We're absolutely in this. Batman is the world's greatest detective, and he is he is absolutely you know our ersatz uh, Sherlock Holmes. And there are so many Sherlock. There are more Sherlock Holmes Easter eggs in this than there are DC Universe yeah. Easter eggs. <laughs> now, I actually didn't go through and count them. That's a generalization because <laughs> someone is gonna do it, and it's like freak line. <laughs> there are actually two more DC Easter eggs. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the GBB Podcast. And just search our name. We're everywhere on the internet because we are awesome. Including the Hollywood Reporter. You'll find us there. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a good mood nice. today. <laughs> so how's it going, oh, Jamie? Good. good. So am I. So am I. I'm in a good mood, too. Good, good. So you are fresh back <laughs> from New York Comic Con, and you always say you're not going yes. back. You always say that, but then you go back. Yeah, <laughs> I do. It's I'm I'm a glutton for punishment. I think so. Yeah, fresh-ish back. It was a it was a few weeks ago now, um, but uh, yeah, you're right. Every year I go, and every year I'm like, that's it. I'm not going again next year. I just don't <laughs> see the point. I or I don't like it. Right. And uh, every year I end up going again for one reason or another. And this year I actually enjoyed myself and I found that the um, best way to do New York Comic Con is to not go to New York Comic Con. <laughs> <laughs> go so, with media. Get a media pass. Start a blog. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I've been going as media. The first year I wasn't, but the, I've been going as press every year since. And it, it is, I'm not going to lie, it is nice to have that press area to escape to and have a place to just sit down and, and right. escape the madness and the chaos. Uh, but this year... I mean, I did a quick run of the exhibit hall and the artist alley, but most of what I did were press events or off-site events. So I wasn't battling the crowds at at Javits the entire weekend. Uh, and so because of that, I think I enjoyed myself a little bit more because it wasn't such a just a mad crush of people. <laughs> but uh, it was it was really good because uh, um, I got to do a lot of interesting and exciting things and a couple one of them specifically uh which is not what we're talking about today but one of them came up at the last minute um and that was when i i got to go to the star trek discovery panel and um press conference afterwards with the whole cast so that was unexpected but very cool so i'm glad i got to be able to do that um but what we're talking about today was cool too (laughs) <laughs> so you got you you mentioned that you got to do a lot of different interviews. So in in these particular interviews, what you do, a lot of people you might not realize this, but they you kind of sit down at a round table with different people to attach to a certain project, and then you get to interview them all at once. 
And so this is what this episode is. And normally we just play these all back to back, but Jamie's going to be special today. And we're going to introduce each different person and clip to you and what we're doing. Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, a lot of people might not realize what these things entail. I mean, if you've listened to um, every episode we've ever done, I doubt that you have. But um, <laughs> last summer, following San Diego Comic-Con, we did... Uh, we released the audio from the roundtable interviews that I did for Batman, the, uh, the Killing Joke. Um, and that. so if you've listened to that one, then this one is going to be familiar. So you're right, Justin. Basically what happens is there is a literal roundtable and there's anywhere between like five and eight other people around the table from different outlets. So it's all press from different, you know, most of them are different websites or blogs. Um, and then the talent that is in the room for to promote the show or the movie or whatever it is rotates around so you get one person at a time and everybody just kind of rapid fire asks questions so in the interviews you're about to hear it's not just me asking questions you will hear me hear me but there will be other people from other outlets asking questions um so it's it's nice in that you get sort of a a range of different types of questions um some of them better than others i'm not gonna lie um but uh it's 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 a great way to sort of knock out a lot of interviews at once from the pr perspective um so what we're talking about today is an upcoming um animated film in the dc universe it's batman gotham by gaslight and gotham by gaslight is a um really famous comic uh it was it's if you've if you've read any of DC from like during the 90s, you probably are familiar with the Elseworlds. Uh, Elseworlds were these stories that took the familiar DC characters and just sort of threw them in different. They were not canon, quote unquote. They just threw them in different environments. So they were like an alternate timeline or they were in history. Um, and Gotham by Gaslight is one of I'm not one of it was the very first time that they did that and it did not carry the elseworlds title like the banner because it didn't exist yet this was sort of the the book that kicked off the elseworlds idea and the elseworlds universe so gotham by gaslight was originally published in 1989 um it, it was a uh, mike mignola did the art on it this was i think before a lot of the hellboy stuff came out um but in a nutshell, what it is, is uh, it's the Batman story crossed with Jack the Ripper. So um, Bruce Wayne is is accused of being Jack the Ripper, and it turns into this big detective story, um, kind of like Sherlock Holmes-ish. Uh, but it, uh, so it's, it, that's what these Elseworlds stories are. They take these familiar characters and they throw them into this world that just doesn't exist in the normal DC universe. Um, and so they took that book um, and they've turned it into an animated film, which comes out in January, I believe. Um, but we in in the interviews at Comic-Con, um, we talked to three different people. Two names and voices will be familiar if you did listen to that Killing Joke episode from last year. Um, so first up, we're going to talk to uh, the producer of the film, Bruce Tim. Uh, who, if you are a fan of Batman the Animated Series, you know who Bruce Tim is. Um, he was one of the other people who was one of the he was one of the producers on The Killing Joke, so he was on that previous episode. Obviously, we talked to him about 
uh, Gotham by Gaslight this time around. So that's the first voice up that you're going to hear. Um, and then when that concludes, we'll come back and we'll tell you who's next. All right. So we're going to go play that first clip for you right now. Hope you enjoy. When you start a new film, um, obviously each of the films that you guys do you have different casts, um, different voices for Batman. There's a few that have been recurring, yeah. but they differ. How, how does that change your approach? I mean, depending on who you have in the role, or does it change your approach at all? Uh, I don't think that it really does change our approach. Uh, fortunately, we've had just a really awesome group of actors to play Batman over the years. Um, um, Kevin Conroy is, is usually right at the top of our wish list and sometimes for marketing reasons they want us to go a different way and in uh, this time uh, Bruce Greenwood who we've also worked with him before uh, was right at the top of our list so we reached out to him and he was available and Bob Jones. What was the unique challenge uh, for adapting this material compared to um, purely technically, uh, the original comic is a little bit short for a feature-length film, so we had to expand it in a way that still felt organic to the story. Uh, it's we ended up with something that's not an exact adaptation of the comic, even though it does touch a lot, a lot on the same, uh, same um, mo motifs and uh, certain story points. But it, it it's it's a bit expanded, so. Um, Fortunately, what that gave us the opportunity to do was to include supporting parts for characters from the, the Batman mythos, like characters like Harley, Harvey Bullock and Selina Kyle and Leslie Tompkins, who weren't in the original graphic novel, but we found good kind of story bits for each of them in, in a Victorian setting, so they, they don't have exactly the same, you know, Story, back backstories as they do in the, in the, the modern-day comics, so uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun for us. I, I often, this is probably dating myself really badly, but when I was a kid, uh, one of the shows I used to watch all the time was Gilligan's Island, if you guys may have heard of it. Um, so, but back, one of the things they would often do is they would do like these uh, fantasy episodes where Gilligan would like get, he'd get hit on the head or something and he'd have this weird dream and all the all the, the, the characters in the supporting cast would be like in a weird dream. It was like they were all pirates one time and then there was one time where they were specifically, it was like a Victorian thing where the professor was Sherlock Holmes and Gilligan himself was like Jekyll and Hyde and Marianne was like Eliza Doolittle. So um, that's kind of what it's like to do these things. It's like, okay, it'd be fun. You know, what, what, would, what would Harvey Bullock be like in this world and what would Selena Kyle be like in this world? So that was a lot of fun. Already options in, in continuity DC Universe stuff. Was it more along the lines of kind of fan service or behind the scenes you guys pushing to actually do something that's that else worlds? Um, you know, it ever since we started these, these, uh, th this line of movies, um, we kind of like made like this big long list of like you know famous comics and stuff that you know would be like of interest to the fans as well as to us. Um, Gotham by Gaslight was something, something that's been on the list at the top of the list since like forever, um, and we would raise it as a as a possible movie you know off and on. And it, it, sometimes it'd be like, oh well, you know, it's a little bit different. It's not exactly. It's it's quite a bit different than than, than a, a typical Batman movie or Superman or Justice League movie because of the time period and everything. Um, so there was a little bit of resistance to it in the past, and fortunately this time we raised it. The home video people said, yeah, let's go for it. You know, now's a good time to try it. And uh, so, um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really glad they did because I think it opens the door for a lot more um, 
It's just, it's just, a, it's, it's nothing wrong with superhero movies. I love superhero movies, and I, I you know, I could do Batman, Superman uh, stories forever and ever. But it's nice to have a little bit of a change of pace. It gets us out of you know modern day Metropolis and, and Gotham City and spandex and you know muscle suits. So uh, you know, hopefully this movie will do really, really well. And then it'll hopefully open the door to do other movies that are kind of in the same vein. Speaking of which, uh, earlier Jim Craig was talking about this as being very much a kind of detective story. So yeah. With, with all the different interpretations of Batman over the years, like how, how do you see the character of Batman? Is he, is he more a humane fellow, or is he kind of the, you know, more of the, you know, stoic badass type? Um, where does he fall on this? In this particular movie, I think he's definitely much more human than we normally portray him. Uh, I, I have a tendency to kind of treat Batman um, a little bit distant because I think of just of who he is. Uh, personally, my own feelings about Batman are that he's a bit remote, a, a bit removed from people because of uh, you know what happened in Crime Alley and, and his whole persona. Um, I tend to think that Batman is the real person and Bruce Wayne is the mask. Um, but in this one, because it's um, it has a completely different feel. And uh, something we did kind of key in on on the, uh, the original design that Mike Mignola came up with him for the comic is that you can actually see his eyes through his mask. He's got like, kind of like an old, you know, old school a aviators kind of mask. Um, and you can actually see his human eyes instead of just those, those white spooky slits. And that kind, of, um, that kind of informed how we treated his character where he's uh, a little bit more human. He's a little bit younger a little bit more idealistically um, than he, he normally is. Um, also because the movie kind of has a little bit of an old school feel to it in terms of it's a little bit more like an old, um, like a horror movie from the 30s or 40s or even like, you know, the, you know, the, the 60s with the Hammer films. Uh, he feels a little bit more like, I want to say he's like Don Diego and, Z and Zorro. He's a little bit more of a classical, you know, movie hero. Uh, masked hero, so um, I think that that was something that was subliminally, you know, influencing us in this movie. So um, yeah, it's it's a it's it's a different take on Batman. He's not quite as as spooky and inhuman as we normally portray him. Um, Jim was talking a little bit too about a lot a lot of research that uh, everybody was doing for period details, yeah. things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, was there anything that um, if you were doing any of that? Was there anything you came across that was like, oh my gosh, we have to have this? Anything that really sparked your imagination? Did he tell you about the car? No. No. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, because we talked about giving Batman some... We, we didn't fully embrace the steampunk aesthetic. We actually tried to stay a little bit more real world with it. Um, there's a little bit of fudging the dates in terms of technology. For instance, there's a big airship battle uh, in, this, in this story, which is a little bit technically anachronistic, but hey, it's an alternate timeline. It could, it could happen. It's not the real world. But um, but we did we, we did think about it. It's like, okay, well, because Batman always has all these gadgets, you know, so we definitely gave him, like, a, a steam-powered grapple, you know, gun. And uh, he doesn't he does end up having, like, a, a, a steam-powered bike. And at one point we were talking about um, giving him a car. And historically accurate, there's uh, one of the very early cars from, like, the late 19th century... Uh, was this, um, I don't remember which, which car brand it was, I want to say it was Daimler, but uh, Jim mentioned this, this, this historical you know, early prototype vehicle. He said, oh yeah, it'd be cool if, if Bruce Wayne owned that, if he was like one of the early owners of that car. And he said, oh yeah, that, that could be cool. Then I looked it up online and went, there's no way he's going to show up driving that thing because it looks so stupid. <laughs> it's like, I was thinking in my head, it's like, oh yeah, maybe it would look cool. And it's like, no, it looks 
ridiculous. So I said, no, he's not going to have that car. Yeah, I literally just got the image of Batman cranking car. <laughs> no, this looks way worse than that. It looks way worse than that. It's got like a big boiler on it, and it's just a flatbed thing. It's, it does not look cool. It looks like an onion on wheels. It's awful. What? carriage. Yeah, it's it's awful. No, we said we said fine. A horse and buggy will be just fine for Bruce Wayne. A lot of your career has been Batman. You've told a lot of Batman stories, yep. a lot of classic ones. I'm wondering, for you personally, what does Batman mean? I mean, I know what it means to a lot of people and a lot of us, but what does it mean to you? You have a unique perspective. What does Batman mean? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, what's that? <laughs> what's that, one minute? One question? One question. Oh, that's a tough one. Boy, I don't know. What does Batman mean to me? Uh, Batman means love. Batman means... I don't know. Um, he means a lot of things to me. I mean, he was my, my very first superhero when I was a kid. He was my gateway to, to comics and, and superheroes. Um, I was just the right age for the, the Adam West show when it came on. Um, I was young enough to not realize it was a comedy, so I took it really seriously. Uh, I thought, I thought, you know, the, the, the costume was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And honestly, I still think Batman does have the coolest costume in comics. Um, but uh, he's just—I don't know—I don't have a good answer. You know, people all these years, so you know, what is it about Batman? And I was like, I don't know. He looks cool. You know, he's, he's got—he's got a—he's got, got a good, you know, origin story. He's got the world's best, you know, rogues gallery. Uh, he's got a great supporting cast. It's like all the stuff. It's like there's no weak links, you know. So, sorry. That's all you, no, sometimes that's all you need. <laughs> cool. All right, I guess that's it. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Okay, so that was fantastic. He's such a good interviewer. It's too bad you didn't get to do all of the questions. <laughs> I know. Well, you know what? I, Bruce Tim is one of those people who's on my list that I really want to get back for a full episode. So I'm working right. on it. Get I'm him in. Get it. him in. All right. So let's let's talk about the next <laughs> clip. What's going on on this one? So the next clip is the other familiar voice from the Killing Joke episode. It is the director, who was the director of Killing Joke, and is also the director of Gotham by Gaslight, Sam Liu. So we talked to Sam uh, this time again about Gotham by Gaslight. So here we go. The director. He just said something at the very end that I wanted to ask you about. Oh boy. <laughs> when he was talking about, he just mentioned passing the rating. You know, we think it might be a part. Oh, yeah. yeah. When, I mean, you obviously don't know what the rating is going to be until you have the, the finished right. film. But, like, how much did you guys keep that in mind for this one? You know, a lot of times, um, it, it, it's, it's difficult because, like, you know, there's, there's times you want to just be the creative and you want to sort of make the best thing that you can possibly make. You right. know? Um, obviously things like tone becomes an important thing. You know, Sometimes I think that can save a, a movie if you connect the right story with the right tone. And so um, in this case, because it is about Jack the Ripper, it's in, inherently, I think by nature, it might start pushing towards it, you know? And so you know, we, want, we want to sort of push the, you know, the, the terror element of it so I don't know if we necessarily ever want to make an R per se, but just sometimes it happens to get pushed into there just because of the nature of the subject matter. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think we tried to dumb it down. I don't think we tried to. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, there's things later if it's like close to like a, a an edge where it's just like if we can make it into an R and not sort of sacrifice, you know, at least the potency of it, um, we'll we'll definitely 
do that, you know. But again, sometimes, usually a lot of times that has to do with, you know, Bruce or whoever, whoever the supervising producer is, um, of like, you know, is it worth it to do that or not? You know, so, yeah. So it's a little, I know this is not, this is never a straight path. Sure, no, no, that, I get but, it. Yeah. What would be the difference going from most of the other movies that have a lot of like martial arts action sequences to going to something Victorian area era and yeah. doing different fight styles, different fight scenes, different action sequences? Was there any kind of effort to change the pace and style of that? A little bit. I mean, we, we definitely had conversations about sort of like what fight style would Jack have, you know, Jack the Ripper uh, versus Batman, you know, and also given Batman, you know, he would have training of, of certain things. But um, but we try to you know obviously we, 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 we try to do sort of expertness but kind of make it a little less sort of like wire work type of stuff or you know um, it, it's, it's a little bit more sort of like like grappling and like like pugil definitely pugilism is one of them you know um, so it's a lot more like boxing you know old school boxing kind of a thing and there are elements of you know, hand-to-hand, -hand, you know, close combat kind of fighting, but it's not as much sort of like, oh, he's jumping 30 feet, and, you know, that type of stuff. So more grounded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's even things like, you know, when, when Batman's grappling something, you know what I mean? Instead of having him just shoot up, straight up, he would sort of shoot up for a little bit and then have to sort of push off and sort of, he, he needs to assist it, kind of thing, you know what I mean? So, I got a question. Uh, now, of course, how, now when casting the movie, how, who, how did you, which people got picked, factor in, how do it fit, like, say, Batman or Sonya Kyle or Jim Gordon? Because um, a, a lot of times we, you know, the, the script is sort of written first, right? And then we sort of cast it. Yeah. And so um, we have a, we usually have a sort of a, we have a meeting and we have a list of people who we thought, who we think maybe might work for this. Um, and a lot of times we don't get the first person on the list or the second person or the third or something like that. So again, sometimes it's it's like you'd be like, oh, this person's perfect, you know, but then they're too busy <laughs> or they're like, oh, I don't want to do it or something like that. So so not to say that, you know, um, it's necessarily like a bad thing because it's hard because it's creative, you know, because like sometimes there have been people where you're like, oh, I don't know if that person's going to be good and they come in and they just totally like kill it. You know, and you're just like, wow! I never, I didn't th think I would like that, but, but now that you know, because I mean, it's, it's so it is a little bit of a this sort of like organic kind of thing that that happens, you know. But then there's certain people too that you get, oh, you get your number one pick and they're horrible, you know, or you're just like that just doesn't fit. It's difficult too because a lot of times when they do stunt casting, they try to get people from screen, and they, and it might be that they're acting. What's great about their acting is part physical, you know, is the way they look or the way they sort of physically act, yeah. and. It, because some people, their voice quality is just not, you know, as good, or just yeah. their delivery is not as good, you know. So, again, sometimes it's 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 weird because, you know, there may be great sort of screen actors, but then when you listen to their work, you kind of like, oh, I'm not getting the the real emotion in here or something like that, you know. So, so you, when you when you come across someone or you're working with someone who is less comfortable with voice acting, uh -huh. how do you? sort of work with them or work around them? Oh, I mean, obviously the, and this hasn't happened that often, but sometimes they'll get recast, you know, um, but again, sometimes whether it's a technical thing, like if they're, if we feel like, okay, the pitch is too, we'll pitch it either up or down or something like that, um, or we'll, you know, try to, hopefully they'll give us something, do, do you know what I mean? 
Um, I, remember, I remember having, we, you know, just like Teen Titans, um, we, we cast um, the original Beast Boy or Beast Boy, you know, but he sounded too old, you know, and so we had to recast him, you know. And so um, sometimes you can do something, sometimes you you can't. But obviously we try to do what we can first. <laughs> Of course, the original has a very specific stylistic look. Um, what kind of challenge or did that propose as you were adapting? Oh, um, the it's difficult because you know we, I think every artist because uh, Mike Bunuel is a, like an artist artist, right? Um, it, I think you have to sort of animate it in a very specific way, or else it doesn't feel like the goal anymore. You know what I mean? Because as much as of it is the way he draws. Um, Part of the element too is like how he shoots things, right? Because this stuff is is flatter, you know, and it's very graphic, right? Where it works great as a graphic, but sometimes, you know, when you're when you're working with like you know a film or a, like a visual medium stuff like that, you want to punch in on something to to make it more, you know, you usually want to build in if, if it becomes the scenes become more tense and stuff like that. And so sometimes again, shots don't make it look like Mignola anymore, you know. But also the other thing too is there's so many blacks. You know, so much of his work is about blacks, you know, not just shadow, but absolute blacks. Um, so, given that, and it's hard because you have to animate like a, a black shadow that shape that's continued, if they move, then the words that shape look like. So you, you need expert artists to do that. And unfortunately, how we are, um, <laughs> it's like, it's a big gamble. So we try to make something a little more safer that, you know, like, like a color shadow is more forgiving than obviously a black line shadow and stuff like that. So, um, so we tried to do like a style that's not, it's definitely not Mignola, but we tried to do something that's in the, in the spirit, I guess, Mignola. Oh. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Thank you, you too. All right, so we are back for the third clip. And tell us about this last one, Jamie. Uh, the last one is the writer, the guy who, uh, it's Jim Krieg. He adapted the original graphic novel for the film. So he is the writer on Gotham by Gaslight. And we talked to him about the process of adapting and adding a little bit because the book um, was not long enough to flesh out. They, they had the same kind of problem they had with Killing Joke is that it was just a single one shot issue. Um, and they needed to make a feature length film about it. So Gotham by Gaslight is something like, um, I don't know, 90 pages, something like that. Mm -hmm. So um, they had to take that and then turn it into uh, a feature length film. So they, they added a little bit, but they were still pretty faithful. I think I haven't seen it, obviously. I think they were still pretty faithful to the graphic novel. All right. So we're going to go play this final interview for you right now. Do you remember that there's a uh, years and years ago there was an SCTV sketch and it was a it was a fake commercial for a movie and it was like this is the most gripping movie ever made and it was just like blurb after blurb and then it, it was, and the and the footage was just someone typing and then it, it was called critic and then it was like he's not afraid to tell the truth no matter what the big studios want you know brilliant yeah might been. Uh, hi everybody. So I'm Jim Krieg. I'm the writer of uh, Gotham by Gaslight, which is a new DC Warner Brothers animated feature that you're all gonna love. <laughs> what goes into? Uh, I don't know if you're the right person to ask, but I mean, you come in at the beginning. But like, what goes into like choosing which stories get made? You know, we have these meetings with uh, with Warner Home Video, and uh, and DC also chimes in, and. Uh, 
they all they do a lot of research. Um, I, I can't speak too much to it, but I think they'll do it right here. Uh, sometimes at the screenings or, or at the Fathom events, they'll hand out uh, questionnaires. See what uh, they often have a list of famous graphic novels or you know in our world famous graphic novels and like people kind of rate which ones they'd like to see most we also kind of have a you know uh, here's a big insider secret a lot of us are nerds so uh so we already know a bunch of these we, we've read most of them and have a kind of a wish list ourselves it's kind of shocking how often ours our wish list lines up with those of of uh the the uh geeky public Bruce might have. I don't. I, I know he did. I think he talked with him, but uh, I believe that he was very positive about it. Um, what's your process for adapting it? Does it you, do you look at it and go, okay, how do I break this into three acts? When it, is it originally a four issue piece? I can't know. No, it is. It, it, was it a one shot? It's a one shot. Okay. And it's very short. It's. I, I'm going to say like 30 pages or something. So. We knew right away after rereading it. I mean, I think what people and, and it's, it's a good story. It's just a short story, and these are these are seventy-two minute movies. So we can't just it, it would be a really short film. So what we did is we just delved into that world. So it's not going to be a, a beat for beat adaptation of that story. It's uh, but I think it is a very faithful um, adaptation of that world. And, and we just kind of extrapolated what uh, Brian and Mike already did, which is like, well, let's see all our cast of Gotham in, in the 1880s, and who are they in this world, and how, how will they interplay with this, this new scary Batman and the specter of Jack the Ripper, you know, menacing Gotham City. And so we, we, in some ways, we added a lot more characters that you're familiar with. So I, I think there will be some joy, I hope, in watching the movie and go, oh, that's Bullock, that's, you know, and uh, recognizing your the, the cast as you know them, but now with mutton chops and top hats. <laughs> Were there any uh, particular characters or story beats that yeah, that really stood out to you or something to expand upon? Um, there were... Th well, I think it was more like, it was actually the... the the original graphic novel ended up sort of serving as a window into this world that just kind of whetted our appetite. And I think we're also familiar with the uh, Bat Batman mythos that we were able to, uh, I think people just automatically had ideas. We just started writing characters on the dry erase board and then saying, who would they be in a Sherlock Holmes story? And, you know, what would they look like? And, and it, it really lent itself to it really automatically. There's certainly elements of not only the... Uh, the first graphic novel, but the the second uh, gaslight that took place at the World's Fair that that bleed into this, and that also is not an ad, a, a direct adaptation either, because that's more like a uh, the first one is a real penny dreadful you know mystery murder bloody thing, and the second one is much more like uh, H. Ryder Haggard uh, you know kind of over the top you know a master of the world kind of story, um, but we took we I think we cherry picked. Some of the things you remember, if you were, when you remember those pieces, things come to your mind. We tried to include all of those, but then put them in a format that made it sense in, in a linear story, and, and specifically a mystery. And I'm telling everybody, when you do see it, please do not spoil it for the for the uh, upcoming viewers. It's you know, it's not the crying game, 
but you know. <laughs> so it's very much a detective story. It is a detective story. We're absolutely in this. Batman is the world's greatest detective, and he is he is absolutely you know our ersatz. Uh, Sherlock Holmes and there are so many Sherlock there are more Sherlock Holmes Easter eggs in this than there are DC Universe yeah. Easter eggs <laughs> now I actually didn't go through and count them that's a generalization because <laughs> someone is going to do it and it's like Greg lied <laughs> there are actually two more DC Easter eggs you said like you guys are fans you know you come to it as a fan so like and this is a really well known book so when you're adding content to to draw it out to be a, a movie like is that painful for you you're like oh i don't want to touch this because the story was just so good the way it was told i don't want to add in something else and maybe have somebody hate it well another thing about a mystery is that if you know the ending of the mystery it sucks you know and this is a super well-known graphic novel so uh i think it would be disappointing if we knew every beat i, I mean i'm excited to go see uh uh uh, Murder on the Orient Express when it comes out, but mostly I'm going for the production design and the acting. Like when when you get when Faro pulls the curtain, no one's gonna go oh, you know. But in this one, I do want you to go oh, and so you know, email me and let me know if you do. Oh, well. Makes sense. I've actually never read the original book. I'm a big Minor fan, and I think Going um, Blind works just as well. Um, yes, I hope that whether you, whether you, whether you're familiar with it or not. I'm hoping that it's a satisfying read. I hope it's, a, it's I hope it's satisfying for Brian and Mike when they read, when they see it. <laughs> now, I have an interesting question. I am not actually here for you to say. I had some questions set for first, but I figured I contribute since I was uh, sitting here. But I know this isn't your first uh, outdoor story adaptation for the DC animated films. That's true. The. Uh, and I believe Gatham by G Gatham. Gatham. That's how we say it in Michigan. <laughs> when you write that joke, it won't be funny. It's phonetical. You'll have to put the like, salt marks. <laughs> yeah, that, that maybe is funny. So, so it is right. That is the absolute first uh, Elseworlds. I think it isn't, doesn't actually say Elseworlds on the, on the front, but it launched the whole Elseworlds thing. And frankly, we would love to do more. So if you... Well, I will tell you that in these meetings, uh, these aforementioned meetings uh, where sometimes cookies are served, uh, <laughs> all of these come up as possibilities, and uh, um, and and Red Sun and uh, Kingdom Come, they're all they're all kind of on the table, yeah, and they would all be fun uh, for us to do. Yeah, I can see you guys getting some really good people or something like Kingdom Come. Like, I make the police care, I can see people see like Richard Dreyfuss or something like that. Yeah, and there, it's, it's it's an open world. What kind yeah. of uh, research did you do in addition to you know for the additional material that you were adding? Um, wow, thank you for that, because I actually <laughs> did do a ridiculous amount of research. And, you know, and I, I have to say, so did the, the, uh, the animation side. Um, they, they Googled bustles, and ha there are more hats in this movie than any other, probably any other Warner Brothers movies. Um, uh, I mean, they really researched hairstyles and mustache styles and sideburn styles. And I... It, and I you would think, oh my gosh, we have all this to do. Every character is, is a new character design, and you'd think it'd be exhausting, but it just the opposite happened. They were all invigorated and excited to do it. 
I, I've been a lifelong Sherlock Holmes fan. You know, my dad read me those stories growing up, and I've read them to my son and my daughter. And so it's super satisfying to do it. But I really, I, I also picked up books. I there, are, there's a whole, uh, there's a lot of literature that is Sherlock Holmes versus uh, Jack the Ripper. And I read a bunch of those. And there's, there's a, uh, uh, there's an Ellery Queen one. And there's a. a, a I don't remember all the titles. I, I, it's in the commentary, and if there's a, on the audio commentary, I wrote it down. But they're great books. Once the, I think the last case of Sherlock Holmes is creepy and weird. I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying there's a lot of stuff out there, and it's quite interesting. And they're movies too. There's, you know, um, uh, a study, a study in uh, Scarlet. No, it's a study in terror. And I, you guys should Google that poster. So it's like a, I don't know if it's a hammer, but it's if it's not it's not hammer. It's like hammer adjacent. <laughs> and it's a so it's like a British movie from '66, and it's it's Sherlock Holmes and Jack the Ripper, and the poster is trying to um, uh, cash in on the Adam West Batmania craze, mm-hmm. yeah. and it actually says "Pow, Biff, nice. Bang" on it, and they call Sherlock Holmes the original caped crusader. And that's the poster. And if anyone of you want to buy me that poster for my office, I will sign something for you. Uh, and uh, it's not—I'm not recommending the movie, but it, but all—but that kind of movie does influence it. There's uh, uh, we watched a lot of stuff, and um, the Lodger, and uh, there's so many movies that that are kind of part and parcel to this feeling. It's, it, I think this is a good mystery, but it's also a mood and a tone and a feel, and I don't think it's one we've seen in any of these um, DC animated uh, movies yet, and I think I think it, it's going to make it really special and interesting. So that um, means, a, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, it's a, for someone who hasn't heard of the, uh, I've read the Gotham Bell before, and the title doesn't really give much away, what would the elevator pitch for uh, this movie be? Um, well, well, now the pressure's on because now I'm in the elevator with an executive and I'm like sweating. <laughs> okay, so um, uh, the elevator pitches. Uh, this is it's Gotham City. It's 1888. There's a new costume vigilante in town called the Batman, and he his arrival basically coincides with the arrival of a killer named Jack the Ripper. Now our Jack the Ripper is not the Whitechapel Jack the Ripper. He, it's Jack the Ripper who's originated in Gotham City. And, and we also, I mean, we're fairly careful to portray him as, as he, because they're, they're also, I don't want to say fans, they're people who are interested in Jack the Ripper and have written a lot of books. And so we try to, like, recreate the, uh, the letters that he sends to the newspaper in the same way. We don't, like, this is, we don't know, we think it's maybe going to be an R, because, I mean, it, the, of the subject matter. But, you know, it, it, it ain't CSI. You're not, we're not going to be seeing, you know, it's not going to be dissection, but it's, it's a little bloody and it's, it's not for kids. I'll, 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 I'll reiterate that it's not for kids so that you know that it, it's not for kids. Oh, I, I'm getting, I'm getting the sign that I have to wrap up my elevator pitch. <laughs> so thank you guys. It was nice meeting you. Okay. So whenever I hear about, uh, you were like saying it's Batman, but kind of like Sherlock Holmes. I think of the holodeck. I think it should be Batman and the holodeck. Yeah, wouldn't that be awesome? That's kind of what these Elseworlds are, though. It's like when, yeah, it you know, yeah. like this, the, the crew of the Enterprise would, you know, when they had those noir ones where, where 
Captain Picard was the private eye yeah. or they went back to do like Robin Robin Hood time. That's basically yeah. the exact same idea. It's the same that idea. data was Sherlock Holmes. I think that was one of them. I can't remember. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. With uh, Moriarty was like was his nemesis. And he, he figured out how to or he thought he figured out how to escape the holodeck. Those right. are some great episodes. Those are they're they're actually the holodeck ones are my favorite. I don't I, I probably a lot of people say yeah. that, but they. They really were. So with with Gotham by Gaslight, when is the release date and are you going to get to see it before it comes out? Do you think are you pushing? Are you pushing for that? Um, <laughs> I, I could probably get a screener. I haven't asked about one. Right. I think it comes out in January. Uh, it's going to be a. Okay. it's one of those direct to um, Blu-ray now direct to DVD, direct to Blu-ray okay. films. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I could be mistaken, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's they're targeting um january for a release um I, I don't know i'd like to get it because it's a really cool story and i'm a big fan of mignola even though he did the art in the book and he's i don't i i don't think that they were faithful to that art style specifically for the film right um but it's uh the the stills i've seen and the character sketches and the character designs i've seen for the film look really good so uh, i am looking forward to it Awesome. And we had a roundtable type discussion about the killing joke. So maybe if we all get some people that have watched it, maybe we'll do something like that. If you, whoa, there goes some, what's that? Okay. <laughs> maybe if you like that, um, we will do that too. So let us know on Twitter and Facebook at the GPB podcast if that's something you want to hear. If not, we might do it anyway. We don't care. Whatever. I'm just teasing you guys. You know, we love you. All right. So this has been another great episode. Jamie, what's your, what's your social media? We say it every week, but let's do it. Again. I'm at the Roarbots. T-H-E-R-O-A-R-B-O-T-S. Perfect. And I'm 140 Justin C. And we'll see you next time right here on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad. 